Yo, 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 what up? Happy Tuesday to everybody who is Rugrat. I'm grateful to be here with y'all. Uh, normally, I would talk about some things, and I had a, a couple of other topics on my mind, but I had to say something about this one because this one was something that I had to really, really think about. It was a question that was posed on my uh, Instagram page from... Uh, Z Canton Jones. Now, for those of y'all don't know, Canton Jones is a gospel singer and is also a pastor in Georgia. And it was posted from the Canton Jones. And I encourage you all to follow Canton Jones on Instagram and on Facebook and check out his free life uh, broadcast. It's on Wednesday nights. I think it's like seven o'clock Eastern time. But he posed a question. It was Sunday morning. He posed this question. And the question was simply this. Does the black church cater to the black family or just to the black female? Well, I really wanted to really put some serious, serious, serious thought into this question. I didn't want to jump the gun here. I didn't want to uh, just, you know, just blurt out an answer simply because I could. So I thought about it for a few days. Now, what I'm going to say, I'm only going to say from the experience of growing up in the church. I've been in church practically all my work, my life, except for the last few years. And there's a reason behind that. Um, I have pastors in my family. My father, my grandfather, my brother, all preachers of the gospel, you know, when I was a kid, there was probably not a Sunday that I was not in a church service of some sort. Sunday morning, sometimes Sunday afternoon, sometimes Sunday night, two and three services a day. We were in the church. You know, that was just how I grew up. So I know all about how the black church works, how the black church operates. But I had to really think about it to get the, a proper answer. And the best way to, to answer this question is not from my own personal opinion, but to let history speak. And I'm just going to use one instance. There's many I could use, but this one in particular ha has a lot of crucial meaning. I'm going to take you back to December 1st, 1955. Now, a lot of us that are listed to this right now weren't even born at that time, but I remember the incident. Okay. Now, let me just paint a picture for you of what's going on, okay? Let's understand. In 1955, this happened. This incident I'm talking about took place in Birmingham, Alabama. Now, of course, in Birmingham, Alabama, as in all other parts of the South, Jim Crow ruled the land. Now, for those of y'all don't know who Jim Crow is, Jim Crow was a system of laws designed to keep the newly freed slaves in their place. Now, you know, Jim Crow laws were around during the time of Reconstruction and all this and stuff, but it really took off after the 1896 Plessy versus Ferguson case. Now, those Google that case, and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. The bottom line is the majority of the justices at that time believed, and they ruled, that Separate facilities for blacks and whites was was legal in the United States as long as they were equal to the to the white facilities. OK, now 
We know that the facilities for black folks were not anywhere close to equal to the white facilities. For one reason, black folks didn't have money. Majority of the blacks that at that time were sl- were former or slaves or family members of former slaves. And when they left those plantations or kicked off the plantations, they didn't get no land to go with them. They didn't have no cash run. They worked for free. So when they were re- when they were freed by the Emancipation Proclamation of 1863, they had nothing to start with. They had no land, they had no property, they had no money, they had nothing. And they were living in a land that, for the most part, didn't even consider them as human beings. Okay? So in the South, they created laws designed to keep the freed slaves in that perpetual state. That's what the Jim Crow laws were designed. And like I said, Plessy versus Ferguson of 1896 pretty much sealed the deal up until 1964-1965. There was separate water fountains, separate dining facilities, you know, separate everything. You know, even separate hospitals if you got sick. And even if you died, they didn't black people and white people weren't buried in the same uh cemeteries. <laughs> Look at Billie Holiday. Billie Holiday was the most loved, beloved jazz singer of her time period. Black folks and white folks loved uh, Billie Holiday. But when it was time for her to get to, to be helped by the hospital, the, the hospital down the street from her house wouldn't even let her in. Why? She was a black woman. Forget the fact that she was a famous jazz singer. They looking at that skin color. So guess what? She had to go 40 miles away to the nearest black hospital. By the time she arrived, she passed away. But that was law in the land at that time. Okay? And in Birmingham, Alabama, it was the exact same way. We're talking about the Deep South, folks. And, you know, in those facilities, again, blacks and whites never mingle. East is east and west is west. And down the twain shall meet. And in Birmingham, as in many other parts of the South, on the public transportation system, the black people did not sit with the white people. The blacks were on the were in the back of the bus. Usually they were ordered to order the board on the rear of the bus. They weren't allowed to come in the front. They were forced to board on the rear end of the bus. And if the white section somehow filled up and white people came on the bus, guess what? The black folks had to give their seats up. That was the environment back then in 1955. So let's cue in December the 1st, 1955. And enter in a young woman by the seamstress by the name of Rosa Parks. Now, she just got through doing a hard day's work and was heading on her way to the house. Got on the bus. Of course, the bus was filling up. The white section was full. The black section was pretty much almost full. White man gets on the bus. Guess what? The driver orders Rosa to give up her seat to him. She doesn't get up. They, she, she, the driver tells her again and again. She doesn't listen. She sits, stays still in her seat. So the driver finds a police officer, tells him what happened. They order Rose off the bus. She's arrested and charged with civil disobedience. She's booked and locked up in jail. Well, it doesn't take long for the word to get around to what happened. And once the word got around to the black community, the community started organizing together. And a group of pastors started organizing their, their forces, led by another young pastor by the name of Martin Luther King Jr. They organized the biggest boycott of the of the bus system in Birmingham. They ordered 
they said to the people, if they're not going to, if they're going to treat us like this, riding the buses, guess what? We're not going to ride the buses. So they told all the people, and forgive me, I said Birmingham, I meant Montgomery, Alabama, but it's the same thing. Montgomery uh, is about an hour or two away from Birmingham, but I think um, Montgomery is the larger city, uh, not Birmingham. I was saying Birmingham the whole time. I meant Montgomery. But anyway, they told all the people in the church, if you got cars, let's carpool. You know, you ain't got to ride their buses. This is the way they're going to treat us. They don't deserve our money. So those who had cars, they made organi- they organized carpools so that people could get to work, get to school. Those who didn't have cars, they rode bicycles or walked. They worked, walked in groups so that they wouldn't have to deal with the. They would get up early to make sure that they were all protected and everything, if you know what I'm saying. But anyway, during that course of that time, and by the end of the following year, by that time, Montgomery had already lost nearly 85% of its revenue because the majority of the people that were riding the bus were black. By the end, before 1956 ended, the impact hit them so hard that Montgomery became the first southern city to integrate its buses. Now blacks could sit anywhere they wanted to sit. Didn't have to give up their seats to a white person because they took that law off. But here is the point that I'm trying to make of this, okay? The point I'm trying to get you to see is that that all that took place because the church worked together to make that happen. The church did that. It wasn't a group of people. It wasn't an organization. It was the church. It was the church that organized the Freedom Riders. It was the church that organized the watch the March on Washington and helped to prom- to bring all those people to D.C. It was the church that founded the marches in Selma and Montgomery and Mobile and other parts of the South. It was the church that helped to organize the uh, that helped to fund the things when uh, Ruby Bridges needed uh, uh, was being harassed and being and going to school. It was the church who did this. So the question I I can answer that question real simply. So what happened? What happened between now and today, then and now? I can tell you what happened. Something called a 501c3. That's just one thing that happened. Okay? Because for those of y'all don't know, all almost every church is not taxed by the government. It is considered a religious organization. It is not considered a business. It is considered a religious organization. And as a religious organization, it has no governmental uh, interference. They can basically run and collect money without any kind of governmental interference, and they're not obligated by any kind of laws to pay any kind of taxes or revenue to the government. So you think with that kind of insight, with that kind of oversight, you would think that the church would do they would do they due diligence and you know start doing some things to help the people. But that's not the case. Okay. The thing is, over the course of time, we're still dealing with a lot of the same issues in our community that we're still dealing with and that we're dealing with in the 40s and 50s and 60s. You know, police brutality is still a major issue today in 2020, just as it was in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. You know, poverty is a major issue. Drugs is a major issue. Crime is a major issue. 
We got other issues now. We got the problem with single parenthood. You know, we got AIDS and HIV, big problems in the hood. You know, we got a lot of issues. And a lot of these things will be solved if the church was doing its part. But to answer uh, Ken's question, does the church cater more to the black family or to the black female? Now, when I look at the situation in our country today and how it has been for the last 40 years, at least as long as I've been around, the answer is neither one. If there's only if there's any one entity that the church has benefited, the only entity that has benefited is the preacher. The preachers have been getting fat, full, and rich while the people still suffer. You can go, you can tell you can go to any black community anywhere in the world, and you're gonna find dozens upon dozens upon dozens of churches. Now you would think with all these churches in the community, you would think our communities would be great and beautiful, but they're not. I've seen this with my own two eyes. I've seen a beautiful, beautiful brick church surrounded by crack houses, surrounded by dope houses, surrounded by uh, places of ill repute like clubs. You know, there's a stuff. And you would think that the church would do something about this, but they're not doing anything about it. And you think about all the stuff that's been going on in our country with the coronavirus. You look at all the stuff that's been going on with the the, the deaths of Ahmaud Arbery and, and Rayshard Brooks and with um, George Floyd and, uh, you know, all these other people. You know, we're still dealing with police brutality. Where's the church at? Now, you know, I've been hearing people like Wendell Scott talking about how great Donald Trump is, but he ain't said nothing about police brutality, has he? No, you ain't heard a mumbling word from Wendell Scott or John Gray or T.D. Jakes or Creflo Dollar or any of these big other big time pastors, Joel Osteen, any of the rest of them. You ain't heard nothing from them. And none of the other little pastors have been saying much about it either. We got real issues, folks. And we're still, we're the only group of people that's still looking to other people to fix our problems. We have the power within our own organ, within our own community, to fix ninety nine percent of the problems in our communities. How do you think they solved the problems back then? Did they have organizations and and and, and committees to do it? No. It was the church that organized all the marches and the protests. It was the church that organized the rides and organized the carpools. It was the church that organized the feeding drives and all the community outreaches and stuff. It was the church that did it. So what's, what's, what's happening now? Why the church becoming, has become silent on this issue when we need the church's voice louder than ever before? Why is the church silent now? Well, there are a lot of reasons. And not all of them have any. All of them have everything to do with the government. A lot of people want to say it's the government, but you know, we didn't worry about the government then, back then, because the government didn't want nothing to do with us. So why is it the government's fault now? I think the the biggest problem with the black church today is that we have gotten comfortable, we've gotten full, we've gotten fat. Well, at least the preachers have. 
I can't speak for the congregations. We're too busy trying to be entertaining and trying to bring folks in the church and bring offerings in the church than to deal with the issues that are dealing that are being dealt with in the church. You know, you got homosexuality in the church. How do I know this? Look at the choir. Look at the people in the choir. And I know some of y'all saying, well, why you got to go there? I have to, because this is a very crucial time for us as black folks. This is an election year. But even if it wasn't an election year, it's still a very crucial time. You know? The problem is that the black church only seems to cater to the people that put the most money in the offering plate. You know what I'm saying? The people that don't give the pastor no problems. You know, them the ones that that the church caters to. It shouldn't be that way. We should never be that way. We should never have to ask a government official to help our community when we got when we got all these churches in our community, all these pastors, all these churches. We shouldn't have to ask the government for nothing. But unfortunately, that's what the case is today. They don't cater to the black family because the black family's all been busted up. But we ain't talked about that in the church, have we? We have allowed the United States of America to literally bust up the bust the black family up and tear it to shreds. We don't talk about it in the church. We have now churches where there are 85 to 90 percent of them are women in the church that are, that are in the church because the men aren't going to church. Why? Because the men are either locked up, dead from 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 guns or, or gangs or whatever. They're in gangs. And the few men that are out there, they don't know what it means to be a man because there's no men to teach them how to be a man. They ain't got no daddies in the home. So who's going to teach them how to be a man? Now you got a, a father's gen, one father's generation has already come and gone and we're already working on a second one. And if we don't stop the second, we're looking at two to three or four more generations of fatherlessness in the community. We need to fix that. We need to fix that. But the problem in the black church is also the same problem in the black home. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? As is the home, as so will be the church. If the men are not being responsible with their homes, don't think they're going to start all of a sudden be responsible at the church house. We already see that's not happening. You know, there are a whole lot of things I could say about this. But I'm just going to say one thing and only one thing. If the black community is ever going to be relevant in the 21st century, if the black community is ever going to get the respect and the recognition that it truly deserves, then it's going to require the black church to stand up and step up. It's not going to happen with some putting somebody in the White House because it doesn't really matter who's in there. It's not going to, they're not for us anyway. It's only going to be when black churches and black families and the black community period works together to build our community. Cause we got a lot of stuff to work on folks. It's way too many issues in the black community that I can discuss in a, in a 20 to 30 minute time period. Some of these issues would take two or three posts for me to discuss. 
I mean, the fatherless generation, that's one of them. You know, why the daddies aren't in the home? Why aren't the daddies taking care of the kids? Why is a single mother, why is it, is single parenthood a reality in the black community and not in other communities? You know, I'm not to say that, it, that you know, there aren't single parent homes in the white community or single home homes in the Hispanic community or the Asian community, but it's a phenomenon in the black community. It's a big time phenomenon. We need to fix that. We got real issues to deal with, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, stop looking to a president. Stop looking to people to fix our problems because they're not going to fix it. If the black community is ever going to be relevant for the 21st century and not just be a pariah of the United States of America, it's going to require the church and the community to step up and to work together. And that's a big seem like the buzzword is together because that's something we haven't been doing for quite some time. But I think it's time. You know what I'm saying? You know, forget your 501c3, forget your tax exempt status, because at the end of the day, they don't look at you as a preacher. They look at you as another black person. So it's time for us to start working together. It's time for us to help each other. It's time for us to quit playing church and start doing what the church is supposed to be doing. Because if you read in the book of Acts, and I'm going to close with this thought. If you read in the book of Acts, there were no poor people in, the, in, in that time. In the first century church, there weren't no poor folks in the first century church because there were people that took care of the widows, that took care of the orphans, that took care of the households to make sure that they had food in the house, to make sure that they had a roof over their head. That's what the church did. You know, they just didn't go in there to just meet and congregate and look at people's dresses and look at people's shoes and hoop and holler talking about you catching the Holy Ghost, they actually did, they were actually relevant to the community that was there. When the church came, the people were looking forward to the church being there because they actually made a difference. They just weren't there to congregate and meet up on Sunday morning or Sunday night. Okay? We're not, it's not, okay, the thing is, the church is not an entertainment complex. Look at the first century church model and you'll see what I'm talking about. If the black community is ever going to be respected as a community, if the black community is ever going to have relevance in the 21st century, we got to do better than what we're doing right now. You know what I'm saying? We got to do better. And the only way we're going to do better is that the, is that the church understands what their role is in the community. It's not there just for a congregation place. God put us here to make a difference, folks. We're not here just to congregate and get together every Sunday morning. We're actually here to make a difference. And if we think about that and we actually do that, then our community will be a better community. Our world will be a better world if we really took it to heart. But that's something to think about. That's something to consider. We're in election year, folks. And it's time for us as a community to step up be a community, a real community. Not just say that you're my brother and don't do nothing for me because the Bible tells us clearly on that too. It says if a man sees his brother or sister in need, you know, and says, go in peace, be warm and fed and don't do anything to help him, then what good is that? The Bible is true. It says faith without works is dead. And that's real. 
We got to pray, folks. We need that's the first thing. We need to get we need to start with going on our knees and asking God to help us to heal. And then we gotta take the next step. We gotta use our hands, not just to pray, but to use our hands to actually rebuild our broken community because our community is broken. It has been broken for a long time. And I don't care who they put in the White House this year in 2024 or any other year. Until we work together to fix our community, nothing will ever get fixed. Think about that. Nothing is going to get fixed. I don't care who they put in the White House. It's not going to get fixed. It's up to us. It's up to us. Preachers, deacons, sisters in the church. It's time for us to step up. Time is crucial. Our community is 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 crying for leadership. It's time. Big male here. I'm out.